I would like to draw your attention to two portions of scripture. I know that you've been standing for quite some time. But if you would be so kind, if at all possible, to remain on your feet in honor and respect to the word of the Lord. I want to draw your attention firstly to the book of Joshua. The book of Joshua chapter number 24. Joshua 24. And for the sake of time, we're going to visit a couple of verses and jump down in the chapter. And then I would like for us to go to the book of Matthew. To the book of Matthew, if you would. Joshua 24, verses 1 through 3. And then we'll move down to verse 14. Joshua 1, 24, and verse number 1. If you're there, say amen. Now, after, uh, I'm sorry, 24 and 1. Thank you. And Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Somebody say Shechem. And called for the elders of Israel and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers. And they presented themselves before God. Joshua said unto all the people, thus saith, the Lord God of Israel. Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Old time. Even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. And I took your father Abraham from the other side of the flood and led him throughout all the land of Canaan and multiplied his seed and I gave him Isaac. Verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side. Somebody shout the other side. And in Egypt and serve ye The Lord, serve ye the Lord. Go ahead to 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, then choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I believe it tonight. Matthew chapter 6, if you would please. Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 25. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, and yet for your body. What you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you by taking thought could add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? 
Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Was not arrayed like one of these. The Lord begins to tell them concerning all of the things that they desire, their clothing, their money, where they're going to live, what they're going to wear, what they're going to do. The Lord said, don't worry about that. That's the stuff the heathen worry about. He said, but for you, I don't want you taking thought for tomorrow. In verse 34, he said, for the morrow is sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And he said to them, I want you to seek first the kingdom of God. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about what it's going to bring. But seek ye first, in verse number 33, the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. Somebody say these things. Shall be added unto you. Let's pray. Father, I pray tonight that you would bless this house, that you would bless your word. I pray in the name of Jesus that freedom would dwell in this place. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would speak in the house, that hearts would be filled, that lives would be changed, that most of all, Father, you would be glorified. We thank you for the good seed. Let it find good soil and let it be planted there in the name of Jesus and let the church say amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I'd like to read for the sake of your remembrance tonight one more verse in the book of John chapter number 8. John chapter 8 and verse number 36. We hear it quoted a lot. John chapter 8 and verse number 36. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. And I want to talk to you tonight about what freedom looks like. What freedom looks like. Before his death, Joshua the son of Nun, the great successor of Moses, regathered the people of God at Shechem for his final speech. Shechem was near Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, and it was the place that the Lord had promised unconditionally to Abraham the land of Israel, and where Joseph was abducted and later buried. It was also the place where the blessing and curses were recited after Joshua had first led the Israelites into the promised land years before. At the earlier ceremony at Shechem, Joshua had inscribed large stones with the words of the Torah written on them, And built an altar at the foot of the mountain just as Moses had done at the base of Mount Sinai. After offering sacrifices, six tribes stood at Mount Gerizim representing the blessings. The other six tribes stood at Mount Ebal representing the cursing. The Kohanim, the Levites, along with the Ark of the Covenant, stood in the valley in between. The Levites then proclaimed curses on those who performed various sin, 
such as idolatry and blessing on those who obeyed the Lord. All of the 12 tribes were to respond to each blessing and each curse by saying, Amen. Since the Israelites present had not directly experienced the giving of the Torah at Sinai as did their ancestors who died in the wilderness, Joshua did this to reenact the Sinai experience for those who would dwell in the promised land. And now years later, he brings them back to Shechem to remind them that the Lord delivered your fathers with a mighty hand out of Egypt. The Lord gave your fathers the land of Canaan. The Lord fulfilled his word with your forefathers. He said, but now I want there to be a clear understanding before I depart from you and before I leave you. You're going to have to make a decision for yourself that your fathers could not make for you. And that decision is, will you serve the gods from the other side of the flood or will you serve the one true living God? There was a freedom that was handed to the children of Israel that day. And the freedom was the freedom to choose. The freedom to understand that in their lifetime they would see things that their forefathers had only dreamed of seeing. That they would enjoy the land of milk and honey in a measure that their forefathers had never seen before. That they would see victories that their fathers had never seen before. That they would experience the glory of God in a measure that their forefathers had never seen before. But the understanding had to come to the people that what your father believed is not enough for you you've got to make a decision today who will you serve the glory of your generation will not be found in what your father believed or what he was convinced of Joshua said what I want to know is what are you convinced of Your fathers knew that God could bring them out. Your fathers knew that God could part the Red Sea. Your fathers knew that God was able to bring them to the promised land. But what say ye? Freedom. What is the freedom to choose? What are you going to do? You got the promise. You're here. I read to you tonight from Matthew chapter 6 because it's a picture of what was going on. It was a generation of people that had come from slavery and they had come into the understanding and knowledge that God was able not only to deliver them but God was able to take care of them. Folks, it's scary when you walk out of Egypt and the only wealth that you have is the wealth that you brought out of Egypt with you. But it's awful comforting when you look up on the first cold night that you're in the wilderness. And there is that pillar of fire that's keeping you warm in the next day in the heat of the day. When you look up, there is that cloud, that glory cloud that's hanging above the camp and everything is all right. It's something to know that God will take care of you. I know that some folks want to weigh out the options of what it's going to cost them to leave Egypt. But I feel like telling you right now, it's still the will of God for his people to get out of Egypt 
Egypt is a type and shadow of the world. It's a type and shadow of what we were before he found us. It's a shadow of the of the time before the Passover. It's a type and shadow of what happened before the blood is applied to the door. And I want to tell somebody tonight, it's always better on this side of the blood. It's always better on this side of Calvary. It's always. It's always better. They came out of slavery into a season of understanding that if we'll obey God, God will take care of us. They lived for 40 years with a promise of something they had never seen. It was a land that they had never ever laid their eyes on. It was something that God had promised to Abraham, but they had never seen it. They had never tasted of the milk, and they had never tasted of the honey. But they knew one thing for sure, that if God can keep us this far, God will take us to where we're going. I feel like reminding you right now that the thing that has brought us to where we are is the very thing that's going to it's a thing that's going to take us where we're going sometimes you walk through life and it feels like a wilderness and the only thing you've got to stand on is a promise of something that you've never seen of something you do not oh lord help me in this house you're going to have to stand on a promise that you've never laid your eyes on that you've never set your foot in but you're looking at a man tonight who still believes on this side of the blood it's all right to look for a city whose builder and maker is God I don't really know what heaven's going to be like. I've read about walls of jasper. I've read about gates of pearl. I've read about that street of gold. I've read about the city where the lamb is alive. But I've never seen it. I've never set my foot there. But I'm living with the promise. Living with the promise. I think one of the greatest things that's misconstrued and misunderstood is that the promises of God are conditional. Now, I understand the unconditional love of God. I understand the concept and the idea of that. He loves us. He created us. He made a way for us. But the promises of God are very, very conditional. The prophetic gifts of God are very conditional. God doesn't have to promise me the promised land and then give me the promised land if I still love idolatry. some things that God had to work out of the people in a 40 year experience in the wilderness that had to be revealed before they could walk into a land of freedom and opportunity folks listen to me I understand, I understand in 25 years of ministry I've preached a lot of funerals I've been a lot of places and I understand everybody wants to go to heaven I understand that everybody wants to believe the best. That whenever they stop breathing, they're in a better place and they've done the right thing. But can I tell you right now, that is not what the scripture says. And I can't believe anything but what the scripture says. I'm sorry. I'm sorry if it sounds abrasive. I'm sorry if it sounds like I'm fanatical. But I want to tell you the reason why I live the way I live is because I want to make it to heaven. I'm sorry. I don't believe. I don't believe for one moment that you can do whatever you want to do and live however you want. 
want to live and just hope that in the last five minutes of your life that God gives you that little window to say I'm sorry and get ready to go. What I'm telling you right now is that I'd rather serve God through 40 years of a wilderness and be faithful to the cause and hold on to the promise than I would to miss it. The Lord said, I'm going to have to get some things worked out in these people. And I want you to bring them, Joshua, to a place of choosing. I want you to bring them to a place of choosing. I know what their fathers chose because they followed me. But I want to know right now, what are you going to choose? And then he lays it out. And he makes it plain. And unapologetically so. He said, you do what you're going to do. But as for me, and as for my house. We're going to serve the Lord. Folks, I don't want this to come across ugly tonight. Please understand the heart of your pastor. But it doesn't matter to me what every other church around the world does or what every other church in Indiana does. As for me and my house. Yeah, but pastor, they've got a new revelation. They said the old way's not necessary. I'm telling you, if they're going to go to the promised land, they're going to have to live like their forefathers lived. And so here was the decision. The Lord said, I want to know, can you handle prosperity? Your family lived under slavery and I brought them out and provided for them. Now, you're in the land of milk and honey. But we're going to have to divide some things. I know people don't believe in God's math plan, but I want to tell you it's a unique plan. Matter of fact, if you look at the plan of math plan of God in the book of Acts, it's very interesting because he added to the church daily such as should be saved until Acts chapter 5 and then he subtracted from the church. And then after he subtracted from the church, the word moves from addition to multiplication because there's some things that God cannot multiply as church until he subtracts it. Oh, God. God cannot multiply us until he knows that he can trust us. There's some things that God has got to strip away from us before he can multiply us. And the Lord told Joshua, he said, I want you for the sake of my kingdom to bring some division into the kingdom. I want you to put the good on one side and the bad on the other. And he said, I want some choosing going on. Are you going to choose the old path before your fathers? Or are you going to choose the God that your fathers chose? I want to know, what are you going to do? Because I need to know what you're going to do. With prosperity. Understand it was prosperity that brought opportunity. It was when the nation of Israel began to become greater and greater and greater. When they finally moved into the land that God had promised them. But we find out that people don't really know how to handle prosperity. Because they start thinking they're the ones that caused the prosperity to happen. The Lord said, I don't want you worrying about what you're going to wear. I don't want you worrying about what you're going to eat. I don't want you worrying about your raiment. And I, I don't want you worrying about your job. He said, here's a concept for you to wrap your mind around. Seek me first. Church family, I don't want to make you snore in Greek and dream in Hebrew. And I don't want to make you bored with history. But let me just tell you, 
that the very same thing happened in the United States of America. Some of our first and faithful saints of God that were building churches in North America of any value and size whatsoever, a lot of them had no more than a very simple elementary education, if that. I'm not saying they're dumb, stupid, or lacking. Understand me when I tell you that they didn't have great education, they didn't have great money. Some of them started meeting in a house that they rented or had borrowed. Some of them were meeting in storefronts and just trying to make it. But can I tell you tonight that those people who didn't know what it was like to have a great big church with air conditioned and padded pews, they tapped hold of something and got a hold of something on two by four slid in. Oh, God. They got a hold of church pews that were nothing but two by four slid into cinder blocks. And they sat there without complaining about their back. And they grabbed that uh, old piece of paper and began to fan. But can I tell you that in the middle of those services right there, that God would begin to speak. And tongues would come forth. And interpretation would come forth. And men and women would run the aisles. And the word of God would be preached. And revelation would be poured out. Then came the industrial revolution. The Lord said, all right, I'm going to prosper you. Some of you survived depression. And you made it. You built churches. Literally. I was going through. Papa, you may have to help me real quick. On my great granddad's license that you sent me. Was it 1924? Is that right? 1924? That my great granddad was preaching and got his, got his uh, license. My papa sent me a, a picture of my great-grandfather's uh, credentials. And I started thinking about that, you know. They were building churches when there was no such thing as a capital stewardship campaign. People, Listen, folks, people were having to pay tithes off loaves of bread. I know. I know you kids don't know anything about this. Feel like your world's come to an end because you don't have a new PlayStation game or something. Don't get what you want for Christmas. Well, let me tell you right now, there was a lot of them that skipped Christmas so that they could afford to have church next week. They were building churches. Oh, my God. Can you imagine? What it was like, now I, I, I know everybody has to work, I, hey, I get it, but I have guys tell me all over the country, man, we can't have, we can't have revival anymore, we, we just can't, we have to do Sunday and Wednesday, because my people work. But our people don't work in Anderson. None of our people have jobs, man, we just built a revival epicenter, it's like a Mecca, and nobody has to work at all. They just show up to church seven nights a week. That's all we do is float six inches off the ground and talk in tongues. I'm not here to toot anybody's horn or smoke anybody's pipe, but I want to tell you that we, we, we gripe a little too much. You, <laughs> you think I'm kidding? You come in here with broken air conditioners and just watch folks. Y'all would flat out die if you came in here on Wednesday night and I took all these seats out and you sat on two by sixes on top of cinder blocks. 
Some of you get mad enough to leave, and I thought you really loved me. Well, my great-grandfather would spend all day in a field picking cotton and dragging his kids behind him, both of my great-grandfathers. Sister Bingham's dad was a pioneer preacher, and Elder R.B. Bingham Sr. was a pioneer preacher. And they dragged cotton bags through the fields all day long, going to town that night and have a tent meeting, baptize people in Jesus' name, Dodging rotten tomatoes and rotten eggs. Boy, I'm glad we got it so tough now. I know what your forefathers did. They followed Moses when it could have cost them their life. But I want to know, how do you feel about it, Mr. Prosperity? Oh, God. I hope you all got your seatbelts on. I feel like preaching in this house tonight. I don't want to sound like a radical, but if that's what it is, that's what it is. But prosperity brings opportunity. And they came through the 30s and through the Depression where people were paying tithes on the tomatoes that grew on their plants. And they were doing everything they could to recycle. Listen, I've heard the stories about eating bread and water gravy. I know some folks think it's a novelty now, but understand when I tell you things like red-eye gravy, that didn't happen because it was novelty. It happened because it's all they had. I mean, dear God, who ever thought about taking salty ham fat and pouring coffee in it? People that were hungry. People that didn't know what they were going to do. And they'd do whatever they had to do if it meant to drive a nail or drive a car or drive a truck or do whatever they had to do. But I can promise you this. On Sunday, you knew where to find them. Prosperity brings great opportunity with it. Prosperity brings us the opportunity for a greater education than we've ever had. Again, I'm not throwing off on those that went before us. But I want to tell you that these were not people building churches with college educations and degrees. They were the kind of people that society would look down their nose and call them foolish and ignorant. They were old tongue talkers and devil chasers and they didn't know. But what they were hungry for was a sovereign move of God that would shake heaven and earth and would turn their cities upside down. And if people didn't want it they'd shake the dust off their feet and they'd go on and have revival I wish I could tell you the story in its fullness but I don't have the time tonight to tell you about the meeting that my great grandfather was preaching and a man walked up and told him he said if you're here tomorrow night I'm going to kill you when you get when I come here if you're here tomorrow night preaching I'm going to pull out a gun and I'm going to kill you guess where he was tomorrow night he was preaching. Oh, God. Here it comes. I, I, know, I know pastor sounds like he's on a soapbox tonight. But you let a quarter inch of snow fall in the winter. And oh, my God, what are we going to do? You know, I think it's funny. On the Sundays that we're having to cancel church and every apostolic church in the area is canceling church. But we can get out and get to Walmart to get bread and we can get milk. My dad used to tell me, and I know he's just an old fuddy-duddy. I know that. I know he's just an old revivalist that's out of touch with reality. But he used to tell me, son, if the line is long at McDonald's and if the, if the lines are long at Walmart, we ought to have church. Come 
We've got more education than we know what to do with. People have got more degrees than a thermometer. Our staffs in our church are gone. We've got so much staff in our church, we've got staff infection. And if the internet goes down and we can't send out emails, we're closing up shop. Oh, God. I'm not here tonight to dwell in an old way and make you tired of hearing stories. But I just got to tell you that the education that my great-grandfather had was he came out of World War I. And he met up with a group of people that believed that God had subdivided himself into three co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal persons. And they backed him in a corner and asked him, how can you believe in one God? And my grandfather did not go grab a Matthew Henry's commentary. He did not go search Wikipedia. The story is told to me that he grabbed his Bible. And he went down to the old Tom Bigby River bottom. And he shut in with God down there. And he told those men before he left. He said, I don't have an answer for you right now. But I will when I come back. And they said he went down on that old river bottom. And he tucked that Bible under his arm. And he said, all right, Jesus, it's just me and you. I know who you are. But I need you to give me wisdom. And can I tell you that when he got back to the meeting where those men were, he didn't agree with their doctrine. He didn't agree with their reformation. He said there is one God. There is one Lord. There is one faith. There is one baptism. I still believe that in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Can I tell you that before our movement knew enough Hebrew to even say Shema Yisrael, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, that they were preaching Hero Israel? We're trained and we're professional. We're more polished than we've ever been. We don't just get people to play music now. Oh, God, no, man. They got to have 29 years of college experience to come play the keyboard. I'm going to say this and probably hurt somebody's feelings, but I don't, I don't mean to. But you know what? Everybody that used to sing in the choir just couldn't sing. They didn't sing because they were awesome. They sang because he's awesome. I've played drums in services where I go sit down behind the drums and the heads are missing. I've beat on the side of drum rims. Ding, 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 ding. And one crack cymbal and no hi-hats. I've played guitars with missing strings. Sean, I've played on pianos that you'd hit five or six notes in the middle and then or nothing. Come on now. I've preached in places that I told my wife, if I had to preach with a sound system like this every week, I wouldn't have a voice. I'm telling you. It's hilarious. Used to, we couldn't hear because we don't have sound. Now we get sound. We're like, oh, that's too loud. Can you imagine? All you got, just stand up on a chair and say, everybody move in a little bit closer. They didn't say, oh, it's too hot. They smell like armpits. They're gross. 
They smell like smoke. Ooh, we don't want that. They smell like alcohol. Somebody's got dipping tobacco down in there. I don't want them close to me. No, no, no. Somebody stand up and say, let me talk to you for just a minute. The very same God that delivered me and brought me out can bring you out. And somebody would step out through that crowd. And they'd reach in and get their old long packet of uh, tobacco and their, their wrapping papers. And they'd bring it, lay it on the altar and say, preacher, I'm not going to smoke anymore. It troubles me that we don't have any more uh, uh, vodka services. Yeah. It's been way too long since I've seen a fifth laying on the platform. This church was responsible for a lot of the three-eyed fish in White River for a while, I'm pretty sure. Because of this church, there were flying fish in the river. Because there was a lot of pills and pot flushed down the toilet after the Holy Ghost got to moving in Pentecost. Come on, somebody. We were full of pollutants and trash. Because we'd bring our old records and magazines and burn them in a a bonfire. Because the Holy Ghost got to convicting our kids. got more education than we've ever got and I thank God for it listen listen to pastor I want you to listen to me very very closely I want us to raise up doctors lawyers from right here in this church I want us to raise up CPAs I want us to someday get to the place that we've got full-time entrepreneurial classes going that if you want to start a business we've got a man that's done it he can tell you how to run a car lot he can tell you how to be a financial officer, he can tell you how to be a banker, and we got people that know how to do it. That's the will of God. I'm not against education. I want us to get all the education. But as Bishop Tenney used to say, what you need to do is get your education, then get over it. The problem is not that we're getting education. It's that education is getting us. Now we're too smart to believe that God is going to use foolish things to confound the wise. Everybody doing all right? Prosperity creates opportunity. And opportunity creates education. I want our kids to come out of high school and get their education paid for. But our thought processes had better not be what I can do to just be the best me with that education. Our thought processes need to be, what can I choose for a profession that I can better bless the kingdom of God? That I can be a benefit to the kingdom of God? Everywhere that I go, everything that I do, I want to bless the Lord. Now, now, we got better education. We got better jobs. We saw it in the Industrial Revolution, man. These little simple people on the other side of the tracks, you know, building churches. 
that I can take you to towns today, right now. But those little simple churches have locked the doors and closed them up or somebody else has moved in there or now it's a Dairy Queen. Because they got so stinking smart and got enough money that they didn't have to rely on the Holy Ghost anymore. That's why Joshua said, I want to know, can you handle prosperity? What are you going to choose right now? Can I, can I break this down Gerber style tonight? Man, I feel it. It's tied up in here. I, it's like I can hear the banjo playing. It may be tight, but it's right anyhow. We're a generation of people that promise God how faithful we're going to be. But we, we, we bring that $5 tithe and we lay it down. And we thank God for the house that we got to clean or the yard that we got to mow. And we'll say things to God like, I'm so happy to bring this $5 tithe because I spent more than that on alcohol two weeks ago. Until God gives us that $5,000 a week job and that $5 turns to a $500 tithe check. Then we got issues with it. I can't, I can't live without that. You're going to find out. Pastor, why would you do this on Sunday night? Because you precious folks love the word of God. And you know your pastor wants you to be saved. And I'm going to tell you the biggest lie the enemy has ever told you about your finances is that you can't afford to pay your tithe and you can't afford to pay your offering. Can I tell you right now the opposite is true. I don't care how educated the chief financial officer is. You can't afford to not pay your tithe. Pastor, if I pay my tithe, I'm going to go hungry. Then you serve a different God than I serve. Am I all right, Bishop? Look, educated people start making kingdom principles about prosperity. It's funny. Listen, poor people in the 30s bringing bread for tithing. Now when our doctors and lawyers start bringing their tithing to the house of God, people say that's a money-making scheme. Get rich quick scheme. They're padding that preacher's pocket. Well, old Jesse Duplantis may be buying him a Gulf Gulf Stream 650, but it's not in my near future. (laughs) Can I tell you right now that if we're going to get our people to be missional, we got to have missional preachers. And we got to have missional churches. That our number one purpose for wanting to grow our church is not to grow our bank account, but to expand the gospel as quickly as possible around the world. You don't have to believe me when I tell you this. Understand me. You don't have to believe me when I tell you this. But there is coming a day in the not so distant future that this church will pay cash for brand new church buildings, for church plants, and home missionaries. There will come a day that this church is going to send a man into a city and pay his rent and get him a building and send people to help him. He's not going to start from scratch. We're going to send him music and we're going to send him Sunday school teachers and we're going to send him bus drivers. What I'm saying to you is we've got to answer to God for our finances.
said your mother and dad had to live by faith when they were in Egypt. With resistance all around them, they were faithful to me. I want to know, what are you going to do with all the milk and honey? What are you going to do with the house that you didn't build and the vineyard you didn't plant? Is it really too much for you to honor me with a vineyard that you didn't even plant? The freedom is the freedom of choice. You don't have to bless God. But Joshua stood on that mountain. He said, you don't have to bless him. But you're going to wish you would have. Oh, Jesus. We're going to have to answer for our money. We're going to have to answer for our education. I'm going to tell you something else, church family. I'm not here to harp tonight. But we're going to have to answer for our worship. We are the redeemed, not the chosen frozen. I think everybody ought to worship the way that you worship. I, I understand that. I get it. But we're becoming more and more dignified the more educated and more rich we become. Because when we could only afford a pair of dockers that we got at Goodwill... We didn't mind getting down in the floor and praying until our britches were wrinkled. But now that our suit costs more than the car that we used to drive. Church family, listen to Pastor. We're on the other side of the tracks now. Uh, okay? You're not frowned on anymore. I know you think you are because people look at you weird when you wear a dress. You are not on the other side of the tracks anymore. We don't have the jankiest buildings in town anymore. We got the best. Man, we got padded pews. We got air conditioning. Man, we're fine. We got it. When we were building this building 12 years ago, actually we were building it 13 years ago, moved in 12 years ago. Bishop Bingham and I were talking about the building process now and the building process in 68. I'm talking about built a church wearing out his old hatchback car because he had to drive back and forth to Wicks Lumber and Elwood. Didn't even, ha didn't even have a pickup truck. He had a station wagon. The Chevy? Yeah. Well, ain't that pitiful? That preacher tearing up his car. You know what? They told him, they said, you'll never build a church on the south side of town. The water table's too high. If you build a church, you sure won't put a basement in it. <laughs> Come on, church. Back then, I know, I'm, 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 I'm too reminiscent probably. Brother McLean, I went the other day. And I just sat in the street in my car and gave God thanks for you and your family. When I looked at the grass lot, 19th and Lincoln, and right next door, Sister Sandy was Bert T. Owens, where you worked and 
Brother Jeff, you work there. Look at wife. The Holy Ghost would fall. People slain in the spirit for hours. Sweeping up bobby pins. Because the women didn't care what people thought about their long hair. Oh. Brother Mike Bingham started talking to me the other day, trying to describe the building to me, how it was. Folks, I'm sorry. I thank God for this building that we got. We built it all on one floor. We did the best that we could. But I didn't grow up with my Sunday school class on the first floor. We went to the basement. And you walked upstairs to get to the sanctuary. We didn't have a nice prayer room downstairs for all our young people. We were cramming 85 kids in the Sunday school room downstairs, and it was so hot you wanted to puke by the time you left. Remember, Sam? You're one of the old guys now. You should remember that. I wouldn't trade that, Brother Sean King, for nothing. I came home from Mississippi. I didn't know. I didn't know. No, I, didn't, I, didn't know I didn't know anything. Brother Bishop was begging me to stay down there, and my dad was begging me to come home. I came home as my pastor. Yes, sir. We went down to Mississippi, and man, when I got there the first night, there were twelve young people. I thought, why in the world am I here? Three months later, when I left to come home, we had like thirty-five kids. They said, "Man, what's the secret? What are you doing?" I said, "I'm not doing anything. I'm just teaching them how to pray." We cleared out the old side storage room and put some pew chairs in there. And we made it into a prayer room. And the same thing that happened there started happening here. And I remember the Sunday nights that our kids would come up out of the basement so drunk that we were having to help them come up the stairs. Anybody here remember that? And we'd walk into that sanctuary and church would never even start. We're going to be held accountable for our worship. I don't care how good we get, how good the music is. I have never been ashamed to be a part of a hand clapping, foot stomping, aisle running. I, I don't want y'all to think I'm throwing off tonight. I, but I wasn't raised with a whole lot of eloquent preachers around me. I was raised with preachers that preach we ain't and we was and they was. and Ain't we having church? Come on now. I'm not saying that I'm not grateful for where the Lord has brought us to. I'm thankful for it. But have we become so dignified with our words that this is all we've got? We're raising a generation of people that are watching our worship. Listen, I've been looking for the helicopter spinners. You don't understand. We had to wear the armor of God when I was a kid. I've dodged high heels, bobby pins. Fell asleep under the pew and been woke up with somebody jumping on my elbow in steel-toed shoes. 
please turn in your Bibles to the book of Psalms. I'm sorry. That's just not who I am. You don't look educated when you preach. Well, good, because I haven't come to you with enticing words of men's wisdom. But in demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. And I like the kind of preaching that when you're preaching, the alcoholic gets the feeling. And something gets a hold of them. And they can't stay in their seat. They got to. They got to come out of that pew and get in the aisle and come up and God turn them around. I know, I know. Stay with me. Time. Okay, I'm, I'm hurrying. Look, we're on, the, we're on the other side of the tracks now. We're, we're, not, we're not the Poe folk. We ain't Poe no more. And the poorest among us are millionaires compared to what they used to be. We went from being made fun of by governmental people to having governmental executives in our church. We went from being made fun of by mayors to having mayors in our congregations. But church family... I want to make something very, very clear to you. If worship was right while they were making fun of us, worship is right when they join us. If running the aisles is right and dancing is right and shouting out loud is right, then it's right when the Queen of England is sitting in our church. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just a little trepidatious, Pastor, about us speaking in tongues in the church. Stop right there. These people know what they're getting into when they show up here. They've heard about you for years. And if they, if they didn't want some of what you got, they wouldn't show up here. I can't imagine coming to an apostolic church expecting power and demonstration and the miraculous and tongue talkers and aisle runners and dancers and get there and then be like. Well, pastor, nobody else was clapping. Well, you should. Maybe. Bishop, I'm sorry. Maybe you don't understand why, as your pastor, I'm always down here during worship. It's because I was stuck up there for 19 years. And it feels awful good. And before I ever had a Jordan Fry and a Caitlin Fry in my life to start feeling in where I was playing, I was taught... That if you've got to stop playing because the Holy Ghost said run. 
On more than one occasion, this old boy has thrown some drumsticks down and took off, and they had to play a couple measures without drums. Okay, let, let, oh Jesus. Let me just say it and get there, and I'll, I'll hurry up. Can I, can I just preach for a few more minutes? I know y'all are tired. I am too, but I, I got to preach. Look, what I'm saying to you is there is something to the idea of emotionalism in the church. We are emotional beings. And people say they don't like our worship because it's all emotionalism, but they're the ones that sit in front of a stupid movie theater and cry and bawl and squall over a story that's not even real. Hang on just a second. I'm talking about nut jobs at ball games. Paint their entire body different colors and stand there naked, painted. Go. Go. And they're making drug addicts, fornicators, and adulterers multimillionaires. Pastor, you can't regulate everything everybody does. You're right. But you do have to choose at some point what you're going to be. Just, it frustrates me when I see these guys that will drop thousands of dollars on season tickets and go watch these ball players play ball and then gripe about paying their tithe. God, I don't know if I went swimming in the old-fashioned pool today or what, but I'm feeling it. Something's got me stirred up. I'm just, I'm just going to throw this out there. It may fly like a lead balloon, but I'm going to throw it. But if we live in a generation of soft preachers, you're going to have a generation of soft saints. If you can decode everything you preach, you're going to have a pew full of diabetic Christians. And you're not going to be able to handle it when their sugar level gets low. And you start trying to strip it away and give them a new diet. You better preach it real. There's a difference in choosing to do what I do because my church teaches it and choosing to do it because I love it. I got people in this church that when they came to this church, when they started attending this church, they would say to me, Pastor, before I came here, I used to do this and go there. And -and so-and-so said it was okay to do. And that's all right. I'm not here to talk about so-and-so or what they said. What I'm here to tell you is that as for me and my house, as for me and this house, we're going to serve the Lord. (laughs) We're going to be held accountable for our worship. When people look at us, we go soft in our preaching. We're nervous and scared to death to dance and run the aisles. Guess what your grandkids are going to be? 
if you're sold out enough to bring your grandkids. We're going to be held accountable for our doctrine. I'm going to say this. very. I'm going to take a drink so I can think this out real good. I need to drink more than that. But I'm going to say it. I'm not afraid to say Holy Ghost in this church. I understand they're both biblical. I understand that. Holy Spirit, baptism, I get it. But I'm not afraid to preach on the Holy Ghost and fire. And I'm here to tell you tonight that I'll never, ever, ever buy in. I don't care how much we grow or how much pressure comes. I'll never buy in that baptism is just going public for Jesus. We are not baptized to show the world that we love Jesus. We are baptized because without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. And my sin has to be washed away. Oh, God. We're educated now, Pastor. We're educated. I, I, I don't, oh, Lord. I don't care how educated we are. People that have bought into the Roman road, to the Nicene Creed, to an understanding of the triune Godhead, they need to understand that before their doctrine was here, ours was already established. We prop these people up and set them up and make them demigods because they're so smart and so intelligent. We teach our kids when you go, man, these, these smart people, they're the ones that's changing the world. I, I, this is going to sound counterproductive because I want us to be smart. But I'm going to tell you what the smartest people are doing right now. They're destroying us. Because they've got so smart that they want everybody to find God within themselves. And God is whatever you describe him to be. And God is whatever you make him want, whatever you want him to be. Love is whatever you want to make it. If you want it between a man and a man, who are you to deprive a man from loving another man and a woman from loving? Who do you think you are? It's not who I am. It's who I represent. And we're going to be held accountable for our doctrine. And if we sit down with every wind that blows, we're never going to stand up. feel like it's Friday night at camp meeting because y'all are tired and I am too. I'm not doing it, Mikhail. <laughs> we're going to be held accountable for our doctrine. And we're going to have to get over Whatever the latest fad is and whatever the latest strategy is. Listen, I, I, I figured something out a long time ago, okay? 
I've been doing this for a long time, and I don't know everything, that's for sure. If I, I wish I did. But I'm going to tell you what I do know. Brother Simmons, I do know this. If there was a shortcut, we would have already found it. If there was some new way to build a church at a fast pace and produce disciples that are truly converted, we would have figured it out by now. But there's not. Now, there's ways to build crowds. But as soon as you stop breaking the loaves and fish and say, all right, whoever's going to follow me, you got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. The crowd's going to get pretty thin. But I'm telling you right now, when the loaves and the fish are gone and everybody's got more education than they've ever got, we're going to be held accountable for our doctrine. And I still believe that a man must be born again of water and of the Spirit. If he's going to see or enter the kingdom of heaven. I do not believe that you can confess with your mouth and believe in your heart on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That is a damnable doctrine. It's apostasy. It's heresy. Jesus said you must be born again. I'm closing. I'm closing. We're going to be held accountable by, for our education, how we do it and what we do with it. We're going to be held accountable for our prosperity and our finances and what we do with it. We're going to be held accountable for our worship and our doctrine. And we're going to be held accountable for our holiness and our separation. I remember when the battle was just women wearing manly apparel. That battle's done flew the coop, Brother Todd. I had a dude, I'm talking about a dude dude, like a manly big dude, walk by me the other day in shirts, in, in a skirt and pigtails. See, this, this while people have been trying to figure out how much they can get by with and how short is too short and how long is long enough. The spirit of perversion that caused that question has been working in the earth while we're still trying to figure out what can I get by with. <laughs> Lauren, I wish you had your shirt with you that you bought the other day. We went to the ark. I think I told I did tell you about it this morning. And Lauren bought a shirt that said, We're taking back the rainbow. Are 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 you a pastor? Don't you think that's judgment? No, it was ours first. Bishop, you want to finish? I shouldn't have asked you that. You feel too good. Listen. The spirit, I know we're all looking. We're all looking for the 
Antichrist. We're looking for him. But I'm telling you the truth. Brother Horner John said that the spirit of the Antichrist now working. It is working in the earth. It is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-church. And if we change our God doctrine for an anti-God generation, we have absolutely not succeeded. He that the Son is set free. He's free indeed. He's free to choose. He's free to choose this day. What are you going to do? Who are you going to serve? What are you going to do with your education? What are you going to do with your finances? What are you going to do with your worship? What are you going to do with your doctrine? What are you going to do with holiness? What are you going to do? For the generation that had possessed the promised land. And with this I close. I'm being serious. For the generation that had possessed the promised land. When Joshua stood that day at Shechem and he said choose this day. I could see Bishop. Some of them saying what's this? Slavery? And one of the old folks spoke up and said. This isn't slavery. Because I've been there. This is freedom. This is what freedom looks like. Don't tell me I'm under bondage in the church of the living God. Don't tell me I'm under bondage in a life of holiness. Don't tell me I'm under bondage to preach this truth. This is freedom. How do you know, Pastor? Because he that the Son has set free, he is free indeed. I'm preaching on this Sunday night. Freedom looks like a dance. Freedom looks like a shout. Freedom looks like the glory of God raining down in our generation. Freedom looks like following peace with all men and holiness without such no man shall see God. I'm telling you, freedom looks like this. Our generation cries out and says, the Bible binds you up. The Bible causes you to be a slave. But I, I tell you right now, Johann Gutenberg didn't feel that way. Johann Gutenberg was a man that took the, the, the printing press. His, he took his education and his finances. And he took the printing press. And he didn't just start printing fictional works. Gutenberg said, I'm going to take what someday people are going to call slavery and I'm going to put that Bible in the hands of everybody that I can because what they're going to call slavery, I call it freedom. The Catholic Church took our freedom and they took our book, but today we've got the Bible and that's what freedom looks like. So I ask you tonight, Blessed people of God, Holy Ghost filled people of God, overwhelmed people of God, what does freedom look like?
this is what it looks like. What are you going to do with your prosperity and the opportunity that God has given us? I'll tell you what I want to do. Let's have revival. Let's win our city. Let's turn this nation upside down.